Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. It's going to be months, if not years in some cases, so it does make sense to appoint a receiver. And the passage of time, which is usually negatively impacts the returns of a mortgage holder, using pre-REO, where you're generating rent during the term of the foreclosure, the passage of time is no longer a negative drag on your returns. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today I'll be speaking with George Newberry. George, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. Thanks, Theo, for having me on the show. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for joining us again. So George is a repeat guest. Make sure you check out his other episode, which is episode 1342. So today is Sunday. We'll be doing a skill set Sunday where we'll talk about a specific skill set that our guest has. And as you can tell by the title, we're talking about how to buy pre-REOs, not REOs, but pre-REOs on the internet. So George is going to tell us, first of all, what pre-REOs are and then how you can buy those from your house on the internet. So before we get into that, George's background. So he is a CEO of pre-REO as well as AHP Servicing, and is a partner in Activist Legal. He has 30 years of real estate experience, a portfolio of 10,000 purchased defaulted mortgages. He's also owned over 4,000 multifamily units and brokered thousands of deals. He is based in Chicago, Illinois, and the website is pre-r-e-o-p-r-e-r-e-o.com. So George, do you mind telling us just a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on today? Sure. I'll give you brief history. About 16 years ago, I owned about 4,000 apartments across the country. A natural disaster devastated my largest holding, which is 1,100 units in Columbus, Ohio, and it gutted me financially. I ended up losing everything and over $26 million in debt. That story created a huge amount of challenges for me at that time of my life. I actually, enough that I wrote a book about it called Burn Zones. But I rebuilt myself through a company called American Homeowner Preservation. And this was 2008 when the financial crisis was devastating America and millions of families were at risk of losing their homes. And I saw that many of these families were going through the same things that I was going through. So I started a company called American Homeowner Preservation. And what we started doing was purchasing the defaulted mortgages at big discounts from banks and other lenders. And when we could, we would share those discounts with the families in the form of affordable modifications so they could stay in their homes. So that's what American Homeowner Preservation has done. We bought over 10,000 mortgages in the last decade. But when we bought from banks, we'd often buy pools. And those pools would include some that were occupied and some that were vacant. Sometimes we got lucky on the vacant ones. We could find the homeowner, we'd pay them cash for a deed in lieu, and then we'd sell the property. So that's great. But other times we could not find the family. Maybe the homeowner was deceased or was divorced and no one could agree on what to do. And we would end up having to foreclose on a vacant home. So we're the mortgage holder. There's a property owner, but they're not living in the home and it's sitting there vacant. Now, in many cases, there are great challenges. The returns often on that component of the population oftentimes was not that good. And I'll tell you why. As a mortgage holder, if the property owner's not taking care of the property, the mortgage holder needs to. And that includes anything from cutting the grass to shoveling the snow to boarding up the property and sometimes code enforcement. The local city will go out there and say, hey, you need to bring everything up to code. The roof is leaking. And so we'd have to do it. Now, we don't own the property, but we'd have to pay for that work. And then in extreme cases, like where I am in Chicago, if the property became a nuisance because people kept breaking in there or whatnot, then the city would actually require that we posted a night watchman. So every night we'd have to pay for a security guard to guard the property. And obviously that becomes extremely expensive. And 
We're still just sitting on a vacant property that's losing value in many cases because it's deteriorating. So I was in my mind, I was saying, how do we rectify this? We have homes that could be rented out and generating income, but we don't own the property. So what can we do? And I think that's the opportunity and the challenge is that the situation I described for AHP is the same for all the other hedge funds and mortgage investors across the country that do this nationally. They all have similar situations with a portion of their vacant properties. So the solution that we came up with is pre-REO. And people say, what is a pre-REO? A pre-REO is a first mortgage that's in default that's secured by a vacant property. And actually it could also be secured by a tenant occupied property, but by and large it's by vacant property. So what we offer is for hedge funds and other holders of these mortgages to put them on pre-REO, the local investors can bid to buy an interest in that mortgage. And that interest will allow them to follow a strategy that we've come up with, which is to work with our law firm, Activist Legal, to continue the foreclosure, number one, so they can eventually get title to the property, but also to appoint a receiver, which is typically a local real estate agent who can repair and rent the property while it's in foreclosure. So that it's not yet owned, but the court will allow, because it's been abandoned in many cases, to appoint a receiver to repair and rent the property and start generating income while the foreclosure is continuing. So that is a strategy that we've come up with and so far getting a good reception. Right now we have hundreds of properties on the platform. I anticipate by the end of the year, we'll have thousands. It's just a huge demand from lenders. And now we're trying to reach out. One of the reasons I'm on the show is to let buyers know about the opportunity. It's in many cases, a fantastic opportunity for local investors to buy these at significant discounts to what they would buy REOs. So from your perspective, the deals that are on there are notes that your company owns as well as other companies that do the same thing that have the same issue with a portion of the vacant deal. So someone already owns these notes already, right? Correct. Okay. So from my perspective as a client, as a person who wants to buy these, I go to your website. I went to your website and I saw the info on there. What types of things do I need to do in order to figure out how much I should pay for these things? If it's worth paying for this, what's the due diligence that I need to do on my end? Sure. Because it's vacant, it is truly destined to be an REO. In almost all cases, it would be rare that a homeowner would pop back up and say, hey, you know, I want to pay off my mortgage or reinstate or something like that. So in time, there's a high likelihood that these will become REO. So I think investors should look at it as what do I really think this property is worth as an REO? And as is, where is? And our guidance to sellers is to price it at 75% of the REO value. So they think the property is worth 200 Offered at 150. So there's a $50,000 equity that's there to be captured by going through this process. And the sellers, the sale to them is hey, you get your money a year or more early. You're going to save all the legal fees, all the taxes, insurance, boarding up costs, night watchmen, all that stuff is gone. And for the local investor, they're going to put a tenant in there who could be paying them, call it a thousand a month or something like that during that year. So they pick up 12,000 plus they do the repairs while it's still being foreclosed upon. And when it's foreclosed upon, they can choose to either sell it as an REO or to keep renting it. And so that offer is to you and these hedge funds, right? Correct. Right now the offers all go to us and then we share them with the hedge funds, but ultimately they're making the decision on, hey, do we accept it? Do we counter it? And how do we respond to this? So to be clear, all the asking prices on there are simply just that they're asking prices. You can offer more, you can offer less. And we do see both of those. We see people who are offering full price people where there's maybe five or six bids, but they're all 
10 or 20% low, which means that maybe the hedge fund opinion of values may be higher than it should be and vice versa. There's sometimes that some of these that are selling for a little bit more than what the asking prices are. So pay what you think is fair, offer that. And right now we're highly attentive to trying to get these things sold to prove out the models. So we're, yeah. we're trying to broker in some cases, in the end, we're almost on the phone between the buyer and seller to try and get the bridge the gap to a price that makes sense. Okay. So again, I my offer, and you mentioned that your company, Pre-REO, has a system that I can use. So that system is up to the actual foreclosure. Then it's in my hands, right? So you're saying that you help the second I take over that note to the foreclosure, and then the main thing in between there is appointing the receiver. Appointing the receiver. You, for instance, could choose hey, I know a friend who's a real estate agent. They're really reliable. I want them to be the receiver. That's fine. We'll have the court, we'll have the attorney propose to the court that that agent is appointed as receiver. Why aren't the hedge funds appointing the receiver? Because this is very local. We're in Chicago. So when we're having to pay for these repairs on properties, I know we're not getting the best prices. The local person will maybe have their own crew or have their own relationships and contacts where they can get stuff done at a better price, done faster. They can also be there watching the, hey, this is what the work is and you're getting the bid for this. That makes sense. And sometimes we're thousand miles away with a bid and we don't really know. We get photos and sometimes people, they always think it's a bank or a hedge fund. They're not going to know the difference, whether it's 2000 or 3000 So bill on 3000 We get these cleanup bids sometimes for like three and $4,000. I'm thinking if I knew a small crew, I'd be out there with a dumpster and get it all done for 500 bucks. And then they say, oh, we're bonded, we're insured. And that's why we're $4,000. And sure, that's important, but the local investor can always do these things better. Also selecting tenants, making sure they pay. So I think what pre-REO is trying to bridge is the local investors absolutely in this case have the advantage. They know the market, they can watch the work get done. So they're doing that portion of the work and they're adding value to the transaction as a result. The hedge funds can never compete with a local investor in that regard. Yeah, plus they're not real estate investors either. The they're not. Are. We get offers on our REOs. There are always people sending us the photos like the worst thing in the house, making it look as bad as possible. And again, we're thousands of miles away sometimes, so we don't really know the difference. The local guys can say, hey, this thing is worth $300,000 or it's worth whatever the number is. And if somebody's crying about a little repair that needs to be done, hey, I'll get that done and you should be paying full price. I'm not very familiar with this. So is appointing a receiver, is that something that always happens? There's no risk of the court saying, well, no, you can't do this. From my perspective, who are receivers? Sure. So the typical receiver is appointed on an office building, a hotel, a property that's generating revenue. And if they're not paying the mortgage or the other debt, then the lender can request that a court appoint a receiver to collect the rent, pay the expenses on that type of property. Even they put them in sometimes retail stores or whatnot. But those receivers are oftentimes attorneys or other high-priced professionals, and it would not work to use that type of receiver for a single-family resident. So we were like struggling with who do we use and who's going to make sense here. And the receivership is very much akin to property management with a couple of extra reporting steps with the court. So a local real estate agent makes a ton of sense, and they're doing it, maybe collecting rent, maybe 10% of the rent collected. And that's okay, but I think what the agents are really looking for is hopefully some of these end up being listed once they're foreclosed. They're going to want to sell it, and then I'll get listings. So they're building a pipeline of future listings. We've turned the receivership, which is usually high cost, we've made it affordable for this segment of the market, single-family residences, and other small properties. And then the other part is, if real estate investors just call the local attorney and say, hey, appoint a receiver on a single family, it's going to be, I've never heard of that. So we have one firm, Activist Legal, which I'm a partner in, which facilitates default services nationwide. So all of these 
we recommend that you go through Activist Legal, and Activist Legal will co-counsel with a local attorney in their network to complete the foreclosure and to get the receivership appointed. And you think, well, how much is the receivership? To appoint a receiver, estimated hours, maybe $1,000 in legal fees. When the receivership is completed, maybe a couple hours and maybe $500. And your question, which is a good one, is, is this definitely going to work? Is the court definitely going to appoint the receiver? And the answer is, we expect that they will, but we don't know. There may be some judge who just says, I don't get this. It doesn't make sense to me. I've never seen it before. We haven't ran into that yet. We've been able to, so far, convince judges that this makes sense. And the reality is, if a judge is going to look at it from a public policy point of view and say, is it better to leave a home vacant for a year or better to appoint a receiver and have a tenant in there, which is better? It's clearly to have it occupied. If it's vacant, it either is or could be a blight on the community. So it's just so much better to have it occupied. The neighbors appreciate it. So it does make sense. But we do anticipate at one point or another, we may have a challenge. Actually, we've had this concern enough as we keep going to different jurisdictions to prove out the concept. If uh, receivers could not be appointed, our fund would buy the asset from the pre-REO buyer. We expect that to happen one in a hundred times. It hasn't happened yet. And if it does, then we simply know that in jurisdiction, we can't do it. And we'll keep trying. It makes sense. So we expect at some point the judges will all be on board with this. Another question I have, for my very limited knowledge of the foreclosure process, I know it's usually not always the exact same length from when it's initiated to when it's actually completed. So how do I know when I'm looking at a deal, what spot in the process we're at? That's a good question, because if there's a sale date next month and you already have a judgment, then you're going to say, skip the receiver. I'm going to get deed to this thing in a month or two. So we are trying to provide information on our site. It's not where we want sellers. It always seems like they have to go to their service or go to the attorney and get the current updates. So we are trying to prove that if a property is of interest, think about bidding on it, and that's important to you, which it should be. Then before you bid, say, hey, what's the status of the foreclosure? And someone will get you that information. Bear in mind, though, the way we've structured pre-REO is accepting the ones that are towards the end of foreclosure. If it's kind of mid or earlier, then it's going to be months, if not years in some cases. So it does make sense to appoint a receiver. And the passage of time, which is usually negatively impacts the returns of a mortgage holder, using pre-REO, where you're generating rent during the term of the foreclosure, the passage of time is no longer a negative drag on your returns. So if I have a receiver and I get it fixed up, I can put someone in it for rent before? That makes sense. I was kind of confused. I saw on your website that you do loans on this as well. Yep. So I put the down payment. Obviously, I'm paying that loan because I've got an outgoing payment. But with this receiver, I fix it up. I put a tenant and a tenant could pay me before I actually own the property. Correct. Now, a big asterisk to all that. The receiver needs to coordinate the work. So the court's going to allow the receiver to do the work and they can hire contractors. So you couldn't actually do the work yourself. You could coordinate it through the receiver. You could tell the receiver, hey, I recommend that you use this contractor. Ultimately, you're the one funding the work. And then the rents that are collected, we need to go to the receiver. They need to go to the servicer. And then they come back to you. That way, it's fully documented for the court. And there's always a record that they ever asked. In the end, we accomplish what you're just describing. So you said the rents go to the receiver. And then who's the servicer? The so you? We're, yeah, but that's HP servicing. Okay. So almost all states in this country require that a licensed servicer is the one that usually collection of mortgages interfaces with the borrower, facilitates foreclosures. So HP servicing is a national servicer. We can fill that role. In fact, pre-REO, you can say, hey, it's a great way to generate business for HP servicing and activists. And you're right. But also 
without those two components, it would be very difficult to replicate because otherwise you'd have to go to a servicer exactly. and or a law firm and try to put these pieces together. And that I think would create a challenge. So here I've created the roadmap and the companies and resources that you can utilize along the way. So you just follow the steps for the particular pre-REO that you're working on. So you'd say this is pretty passive compared to other strategies. I mean, it's not like entirely passive, but it sounds like it's passive because a lot of the steps kind of communicating with the receiver. It sounds like once you've bought the deal and then sending the money out for the loan, it's uh, yeah. very passive. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say very passive. You still have to be the quarterback. Maximize your success. You want to be very involved in terms of quarterbacking these. Ultimately, you're right. You're having to work through others to help execute the strategy. All right, George, this is very fascinating stuff. It's from the perspective of buying this, but also just from mere perspective and identifying this need and starting a business. Unfortunately, we can focus on that much, but I think we did get a lot out. Is there anything else that you want to mention about buying pre-REOs on the internet or anything else before we wrap up? No, I think we covered most of the bases. You mentioned the financing. We provide 75% of the money. So the local investor just needs to come up with 25%. We've tried to make it as similar to doing a normal real estate transaction, except here you're just buying early in the process at a greater discount. So I think we covered all the bases. So I appreciate the question. And again, for having me on today. Absolutely. And thanks for joining us and talking about how to buy pre-REOs on the internet. So if you want to look at actual live deals, pre-REO.com. And I went there, you can kind of click and you can see some details on those deals. And so again, overall, just to summarize what the process is, you are buying the first mortgage that's in default, that's secured by a vacant property from a hedge fund or some other company that's already bought that. And then you being the local investor, will be able to add more value to that deal than the, the company that's thousands of miles away. Once you buy the note, which he says that the starting offer price would be 75% of whatever that value is, then you'll request that the core appoints a receiver. And then this receiver, which your company helps find, will be the person who can coordinate the renovations on that vacant property putting a tenant in that vacant property so you're able to make money before you actually foreclose on the property. So that sounds like the overall strategy. Obviously, there's a lot more <laughs> that goes into it than that, but that's the overall strategy. So George, thanks again for joining me. It was great talking to you. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dwellyn.com forward slash show.